0: We're better than that. We are so much better. We're a better country.
1: Are we? Are you sure?
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle
1: with you. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles,
2: this
1: this is your broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A. 91.7 FM KYAQ KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast. 93 FM W-L-R-I in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania And coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org On the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app Streaming on the Progressive Voices channel Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn And of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com with you here for another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we call The Bradcast. Thank you for, uh, for joining us today. Uh, before I forget, if you have any thoughts, any questions, any concerns, any complaints, you can always reach me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, or you can and should follow us on the Twitters and the Facebooks at uh, where am I? The Brad Blog. There we go. Uh, okay, lots to get to today. Lots of breaking news. Uh, I am joined as ever by Desi Doyan, my uh, producer and uh, co-host on the Green News Report. Hey Des, how are you today?
3: Hey, I am doing well. How are you? Uh
1: well, we'll find out. Ask me in about fifty-eight minutes. Uh, we will be uh, hitting uh, uh, the <laughs> the Benghazi fun. More Benghazi fun for you today presidential politics maybe even some listener mail before all is said and done but uh, first this uh, we did we do our a green news report uh, twice a week Des, is that right yes uh, to, it to, is I can't even keep track anymore so uh, six minutes nationally syndicated uh, report we did ours uh, our latest. Yesterday, and when we did the Green News report, this story wasn't even on our radar. Literally, it wasn't even on our radar. Well, it might have been on our radar, but it was so small, nobody noticed. Uh, now, within the past 24 hours, man, out of nowhere, the Hurricane the National Hurricane Center is warning about, quote, a potentially catastrophic landfall of what has become Hurricane Patricia. Now a Category 5 as we go to air. Authorities are scrambling to evacuate southwestern Mexico right now. Uh, Just 30 hours ago, Patricia was an ordinary hurricane, a tropical storm, maybe uh, a Category 1, maximum winds of 60 miles per hour. And in those 30 hours, it has grown into a monster Category 5 storm, according to Brad Plumer over at Vox, one of our favorite climate reporters. Yep. Uh, Sustained winds nearing 200 miles per hour. And apparently uh, this hurricane uh, is somewhat unprecedented in the historical record. Now, while we didn't cover Patricia yesterday in our Green News report, We did cover the fact that this has been a record hurricane season, which a lot of people don't know. And a lot of uh, climate deniers out there, climate change deniers, love to say, well, look, we have hardly had any hurricanes in the past. Whatever. Uh, the fact is, we've had a lot of hurricanes, not uh, many, thankfully, that have hit the U.S. over the past couple of years.
3: Which is what the deniers are referring exactly. to. They're but, only talking about U.S. But, so. but
1: whether they come ashore here in the U.S. has nothing to do with the number of storms out there. And as you exactly. reported uh, on our Green News report yesterday, we had, uh, how many are we looking at? Over 22
3: this? so far this year, and the season is not over yet.
1: Uh, and that's a record, right? Yes. 22. Chalk it up to the warming oceans, apparently, or at least that's what climatologists do.
3: Yeah, the uh, oceans around the world, just FYI, are at record hot temperatures, the hottest that's ever been recorded so far.
1: Oh, there's that. The hottest ever recorded so far. Right. The uh, National Hurricane uh, Center has now announced that it has uh, sent reconnaissance aircraft into uh, Hurricane Patricia and measured pressures of 880 millibars. Which is the lowest ever seen in this particular region. And that makes Patricia, quote, according to the National Hurricane Center, the strongest hurricane on record. In the Atlantic and the Eastern North Pacific basins, the uh, the Eastern Tropical Pacific Ocean is unusually warm right now. Temperatures in the waters are one uh, one degree to two degrees centigrade above normal, which is how, how much uh, do oh, the uh, a, do the math it's for like us Four
3: there? four degrees Fahrenheit. It's it's uh yeah yeah
1: four rough, uh, four rough. to eight, isn't it? Yeah. No, is it four to eight? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jeff Masters of Weather Underground points out uh, that Patricia passed over an area of particularly warm water, uh, warm, deep, and undisturbed water that uh, is helping it to gather its strength. What happens in a hurricane? Is that they pick up speeds when they travel over warm water because the uh, the that's warm... like
3: giving them gasoline. That's yeah. their fuel. Warm water is what fuels hurricanes. So when you have record warm oceans, that's a lot of fuel for hurricanes. And in this particular area of the Pacific Ocean, right off the coast of Mexico, has not had a storm recently to have used all that fuel. So it's just been sitting there in the ocean, waiting to be tapped and waiting to fuel Hurricane Patricia.
1: And when you say used all that fuel, when these storms travel over this uh, th- Hot, this wa- water, water yes. it stirs up, it churns up the colder water from From the bottom releases the warm water into the air, into the
3: atmosphere, and that that turns it all up. And that's what gives uh, that. That's how that energy happens and that energy transfer happens and how Patricia became so intense so quickly. It's the fastest intensifying hurricane on record within 24 hours from zero to category five is is really, really, really weird.
1: Now, the National Hurricane Center is currently forecasting 20 inches, 20 inches of rain in some areas. Life-threatening flash floods and mudslides, storm surges could, uh, reach, uh, could cause waves as large as 39 feet high, according to officials. Uh, the World Meteorological Organization is comparing uh, Hurricane Patricia to Typhoon Haiyan, which left more than 7,300 dead or missing in the Philippines back in 2013. This is, of course, back just two years ago. When climate change deniers in the U.S. who don't notice things that happen in faraway places like the Philippines were telling us, look, there's no storms. What climate change? Seventy three hundred were killed in Haiyan uh, back in 2013. Hopefully that doesn't happen here. Mexico authorities are uh, uh, trying to uh, evacuate as quickly as they can from some of the most popular resort areas, such as Puerto Vallarta. They are right in the path of the storm at the moment as people race to get away. Um, Brad Plumer notes that uh, massive tropical cyclones don't just kill lots of people. They also ravage a region's economy for years after the fact. He cites a uh, a report by by a couple of uh, economists who find that uh, historically the strongest hurricanes, quote, reduce per capita incomes. By seven point four percent, two decades later, on average, effectively undoing three point seven years of average development. I know as people are uh, fighting to evacuate, and uh, we may have a, a big loss of life. It's uh, somewhat cold of me, I suppose, to mention the uh, the economic.
3: Well, effects. it, it helps people but, understand that you yeah. know that you know we've talked about this before. The long tail of a disaster. You know, there's the immediate hit. And that's, you know, very tragic and awful. But what happens when the cameras go away, the media cameras go away, are the people that are left behind attempting to rebuild. That's the long tail. You have, you know, disease from destroyed municipal sewage systems. You have uh, folks trying to rebuild who have to live outside, you know, for, for, for months, if not years in some cases. So these things have very, very long consequences for the folks that are unfortunate enough to be in the direct path of such events.
1: And uh, I should note, you know, for Republicans in this country who happen to be the same people who are the climate deniers, uh, right now, uh, when the uh, when the U.S. economy went over a cliff, that led to fewer people trying to come into this country from Mexico uh, because, you know, we didn't have the jobs here to offer them. We've essentially had zero net immigration, uh, you know, over most of the course of Obama's presidency. But now... The Mexican economy is about to potentially take a huge hit, which could lead to increased immigration, which is something we've talked about for years in the yeah. Green News report. Displacement. Uh, refugees. Displacement. Yeah. We've not just talked about it, but this has been warned by, uh, by the military that climate change leads to mass migration due to droughts, due to floods, due to uh, worsening economic conditions. So you could see another wave of folks coming from Mexico into our country. And for all of those Republicans who hate Mexicans, well, there you go. You're welcome. Thank you, climate change. What are you people thinking?
3: Well, also, I just want to point out for the yeah. uh, the science basis of this that, of course, there is also the record El Nino in the Pacific, which is also fueling this. So we have, you know, the baseline of human caused climate change that is lifting up the conditions, making them hotter to start with and more water vapor in the air to start with, which makes more water available to dump anywhere that the rain is going to fall on. And we have a record El Nino, so that just basically turbocharges everything this year.
1: And, of course, six of the past eight months uh, in 2015 have been the hottest ever recorded across the globe. Six out of eight uh, have been the hottest such months uh, ever. Other than that, what global warming? Globes cooling. What are you alarmists talking about? Buckle up. All right. From Mexico to New Mexico, Secretary of State Diana Duran uh, has pleaded guilty now to embezzlement and other charges on Friday. She abruptly resigned amid a fraud investigation that alleges she siphoned thousands of dollars from her election account and withdrew the money at casinos around the state. We have been covering New Mexico Secretary of State Diana Duran for some time, Duran, uh, for some time on this program, even before she was indicted on 65 counts. Uh, not just because we always warn you uh, that you cannot trust, you you should not trust your election officials. You should be able to oversee your own elections instead of having to rely on election officials. Uh, but also because uh, Secretary of State Diana Duran was the first Republican elected in New Mexico to Secretary of State since 1928 and she has been um, purging the voting rules rolls. She has been pushing for photo ID restrictions on voters. She ran on the premise that she was going to stop fraud, voter fraud before being charged with 65 counts of fraud herself. Duran pleaded guilty uh, to the felony embezzlement charges and four misdemeanors. Sentencing will take place in December. Under the agreement, Duran cannot enter any casinos and must undergo uh, treatment for gambling addiction. We highlighted a few weeks ago when she was charged how nearly half a million dollars she had withdrawn from ATM machines at casinos around the state. Her critics have been appalled that uh, as the state official in charge of regulating campaign finance, Duran would be accused of violating campaign finance laws in the state. Uh, She was one of New Mexico's highest ranking uh, elected officials. She won a second term last year. Incredibly enough. And began her career as a deputy county clerk in southern New Mexico in 1988, running on a platform of eliminating voter fraud. Fraud happens a lot in this state. That's why we need voter ID, Duran told the AP last year during a campaign event featuring GOP presidential nominee Mitt Romney.
3: Fraud happens a lot in this state. I guess she would know. She would
1: know. She's accused of misusing campaign donations by funneling some 13,000 into personal accounts and filing false campaign finance reports with her own office, which is responsible for enforcing New Mexico's elections and campaign finance laws. So she falsified her own reports. She put on a campaign treasurer, a former state senator who had no idea that he was listed on her campaign documents as the campaign treasurer. But why worry? Uh, Why should Duran worry about that? She knew that she was filing those uh, those finance reports with herself. So who would notice? Well, someone did notice the state uh, attorney general did notice, filed 65 counts against her, to which she has now pleaded guilty and has now resigned. She went weeks Uh, being indicted with 65 counts without uh, resigning from office as secretary of state. So there you go. Another election official bites the dust. And if you uh, go back and listen to our program from yesterday and the audio tape of that election official up in uh, in Ohio, Mahoning County, Ohio, freaking out when a voter asked, uh, hey, can we get a hand count? can we get a hand count of these paper ballots that we have because we don't know what went on on this anti-fracking initiative that a poll uh, taken aft right afterwards said should have been uh, should have been passed but instead it got destroyed at the polls. We'd like to count the ballots just to know that everything was on the up and up And that voter didn't even accuse the election official of uh, doing anything criminal just you know wanted to know. Because sometimes those voting machines absolutely fail. Just wanted to make sure that the computer tabulators were correct, since no human beings actually bothered to count the paper ballots, even when you have hand-counted paper ballots. And, of course, that election official freaked out. Said, you're accusing me of a crime of rigging an election. No, we just want to oversee what happened. Uh, Once again, we are not attacking election officials here. Election officials, the best ones, and we had one of the best ones on the show with us to comment on this. Columbia County's uh, 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 election uh, commissioner, Virginia Martin, was on us uh, yesterday to comment on this whole affair. The best election officials in the world will tell you no, don't trust me. I am not to be trusted. If you can't oversee it, you can't trust it. Well, there you have it. Another election official bites the dust. All right. Uh, Yesterday, also on this program, uh, I spent some time explaining uh, why I was not particularly interested in those uh, silly Benghazi hearings that took place yesterday. But promised if there was anything worth reporting from them, I would be happy to do so. Well, after almost 11 hours, almost 11 hours of testimony, man, uh, and uh, after eight committees, eight congressional committees, more investigations than were held for every other major terrorist attack in the last 20 years combined. The uh, the select committee in the U.S. House on uh, Benghazi investigation uh, completed its work. Some almost eleven hours into it. By the way, uh, this uh, sta- this uh, this committee alone has cost some four point seven million dollars to taxpayers. So if you're one of those. So-called conservatives out there, I'm sure you're delighted that uh, over four and a half million dollars of your taxpayer money was spent on this with average staffers on the committee receiving one hundred and twenty three thousand dollars a year. This has been uh, the longest uh, such select committee ever, longer than the 9-11 committee, longer than the Watergate committee. So. Um, and uh, what has it uh, what has it discovered? Pretty much, absolutely. The hours, by the way, uh, that Hillary Clinton testified, uh, almost eleven hours yesterday. Uh, Bush, te- George W. Bush, testified on nine eleven to the nine eleven Commission, uh, when some three thousand Americans were killed. He testified for one hour. So Hillary Clinton, former Secretary of State, testified for almost 11 hours. And this, of course, was her second. This follows uh, five hours of testimony a couple of years ago.
3: It's longer than the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the extended trilogy. Just just want to (laughs) say.
1: And by the way, I only saw one of those Lord of the Ring movies. And I can't believe how long that was. The first (laughs) one I couldn't stay awake during. So this is longer than the entire trilogy. Uh, The first five hours or so. Uh, we're pretty much spent on some guy named Sidney Blumenthal, a a political uh, a friend and family friend of the Clintons. That hours long kerfuffle uh, culminated in this exchange between the committee's Republican uh, chair Trey Gowdy and the ranking Democratic. Uh, member Elijah Cummings, Democratic uh, uh, congressman from Maryland. Uh, This was just before the lunch break when Cummings pretty much said, hey, if you're so interested in this guy named Sidney Blumenthal, which nobody even knows why the hell you're asking about him, if you're so interested for some reason in the email that Blumenthal sent to Hillary Clinton, uh, why not release the entire transcript of the deposition that was taken behind closed doors of Sidney Blumenthal, here was this exchange between Democratic Congressman Elijah Cummings and uh, and Trey Gowdy.
0: I move that we uh, put into the record the entire transcript of Sidney Blumenthal. We're going to release the emails. Let's do the transcript. Uh, that way, second. the world can see it. Well, we, we we didn't. We the motion has been seconded.
4: Well, we're not going to take that up at a hearing. We'll, we'll take that Mr. up Chairman, in a hearing. I've consulted meeting.
0: with the parliamentarian, and they have informed us that we have a right to a recorded vote on that, on that motion. We want, you know, you, well, you ask tell you what, for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, that's what we want
4: to have. Put, well, let the, the world see it. Why is it that you only want Mr. Blumenthal's transcript released? Why don't you I want like the survivors? them released. the survivors, even their the, names? Let me you want tell you that? No, you you want that release? No, let me tell you something. Right now, the only one right you've now, asked for is tra- Sidney no, Blumenthal. That's the only-, the only one you've asked for. That and Miss Mills.
3: Cheryl
0: Mills. Cheryl Mills. That's not true. No, That's two out of 54. Now, if you want to ask for some fact we, we witnesses. I for a recorded vote on the. On the, on the the that's Blumenthal, that's you, you said from the beginning we want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Why don't we just put the entire transcript out there and let the world see it? What do you have to hide?
1: What do they have to hide? Well, eventually they did vote. They did hold a vote uh, on the committee to release the Blumenthal transcript from that uh, deposition. Uh, And every single uh, Republican on the committee voted against releasing the transcript for some reason. I don't know. I I don't know what's in it. They haven't released it. If the uh, Republicans are interested in truth, why wouldn't they just release it? I don't really understand that. Well, we might have gotten some explanation about what was in those uh, in that deposition, in that deposition transcript with Sidney Blumenthal that the uh, GOP now still refuses to release in their Search for the truth on the deaths of four Americans at two different U.S. facilities at uh, at Benghazi on the night of 9/11, 2012. Adam Schiff, a Democrat from California, in fact, my representative. Uh, offered some idea of uh, of why it is that perhaps the Republicans don't want to release this transcript that they, that they took hours creating.
2: My seven colleagues do not want the American people to read what he said in his deposition. Uh, and I'll tell you, it's not because of anything he said. What they really don't want the American people to see is what they asked. Now, I can't release it myself, but I can tell you Sidney Blumenthal by the numbers. So here's Sidney Blumenthal by the numbers. Republicans asked more than 160 questions about Mr. Blumenthal's relationship and communications with the Clintons, but less than 20 questions about the Benghazi attacks. Republicans asked more than 50 questions about the Clinton Foundation, but only four questions about security in Benghazi. Republicans asked more than 270 questions about Mr. Blumenthal's alleged business activities in Libya, but no questions about the U.S. presence in Benghazi. And Republicans asked more than 45 questions about David Brock Media Matters. I have no idea what that is even, and affiliated entities, but no questions, no questions about Ambassador Stevens and other U.S. personnel in Benghazi. That's Sidney Blumenthal by the numbers.
1: So uh, Sidney Blumenthal has nothing to do with Benghazi uh, and the fact that they would uh, hold a, uh, a deposition behind closed doors and ask all of those questions about his relationship with the Clintons, the Clinton Foundation. Media Matters for America underscores once again that this is not a real investigation. This is a partisan political piece of theater. The have you no decency, sir, moment that came almost all the way at the end after more than 10 hours of public testimony from the Democratic secretary of state, the former Democratic secretary of state and the current Democratic frontrunner for the White House. Congressman Cummings remarks uh, uh, led, frankly, to the first round of applause heard all day in the hearing room.
0: And I just for one want to thank you and I appreciate what you've done. It has not been easy. You're right. It's easy to sit up here under these lights and Monday morning quarterbacking about what could have been, what should have done. You have laid it out. I think you have said this has not been done perfectly. You wish you could do it another way. And then the statement that you made a few minutes ago when you said, you know, I have given more thought to this than all of you combined. So I don't know what we want from you. Do we want to badge you over and over again until you get tired, until we do get the gotcha moment that he's talking about?
1: Yes, of course. That's what they want.
0: We're better than that. We are so much better. We're a better country. And we're better than using taxpayer dollars to try to destroy a campaign. That's not what America is all about. And so. You can comment if you like. I just had to get that off my chest.
1: (laughs) Senator uh, Clinton, Secretary of State Clinton, did respond uh, in kind to Congressman Cummings.
5: Thank you, Congressman. I came here because I said I would. And I've done everything I know to do, as have the people with whom I worked, to try to answer your questions. I cannot do any more than that. The answers have changed, not at all, since I appeared two years ago before the House and the Senate. And I recognize that there are many currents at work in this committee But I can only hope that the statesmanship overcomes the partisanship. At some point we have to do this. It is deeply unfortunate that something as serious as what happened in Benghazi could ever be used. For partisan political purposes. And I'm hoping that we can move forward together. We can start working together. We can start listening to each other. And I appreciate greatly what you've said, Ranking Member Cummings.
1: Uh, after 10 hours of testimony, um the chairman Trey Gowdy, the Republican chairman, was asked what new information that the committee received from Hillary Clinton's testimony in a in a press conference. He answered this way:
4: "And, and what are the new things you learned today? Uh, I I think some of Jimmy Jordan's questioning. Uh, well, when you say new today, I mean we knew some of that already. We knew about the emails in terms of her testimony." Mm-hmm. I don't know that she testified that much differently today than she has the previous times she's testified.
1: Oh, man, unbelievable! She hasn't uh, testified any differently. They learned nothing new. Even Repub- and that was the chair of this uh, select Benghazi select committee. Even uh, uh, Republicans admit the hearings were pretty much a bust for the uh, for the GOP, and therefore a success for Hillary Clinton, I suppose. Bloomberg Politics reported that half a dozen. Lawmakers surveyed, Republican lawmakers surveyed, offered a, quote, muted response when asked about the hearings on Thursday. Many conservative commentators were unimpressed, if not angry, about the proceedings. MSNBC's Steve Bennin observed a few of them uh, at one point during uh, Congressman Republican Congressman Mike Pompeo's uh, from Kansas uh, his attempt to uh, question Clinton. John Podhoritz, a prominent conservative writer, former Republican speechwriter, said on Twitter, "Why doesn't Pompeo just go over and swear her in for president now? If he goes on like this, he'll practically get her elected." Eric Erickson, formerly of the right wing Red State blog lamented that the hearings proved a waste of time. Washington examiner's Byron York characterized the hearing as very, very good news for Hillary Clinton. Daily Caller's Matt Lewis uh, wrote that unless something happens, it's starting to look like Hillary Clinton won't merely survive this hearing. She will have come out on top. Right-wing hot air's Jazz Shaw said this hearing is turning into a disaster on wheels. Even Fox News, even Fox News Abandoned coverage of the hearing in the afternoon about three and a half hours before it was actually finished. Started covering unrelated topics despite their near obsession with the so-called Benghazi scandal for years now. As Kurt Eikenwall noted before the hearing began, this Benghazi committee has been investigating the attack for longer than Congress has conducted inquiries into Pearl Harbor, into 9-11, into Iran-Contra, into Watergate, and into the intelligence failures in Iraq. Worse still, he writes, Congress convened 22 hearings about the 9-11 attack that killed almost 3,000 citizens working in the World Trade Center in downtown Manhattan This week, Congress is holding its 21st hearing about an attack that killed four people working in Libya, with many more sessions left to come for this committee. No previous assault on a diplomatic outpost has received this kind of relentless expression of congressional outrage. There weren't investigations anything on this scale about the attack on the U.S. Embassy in Beirut in 1983, where 63 were killed, On the U.S. Embassy Annex uh, northeast of Beirut in 1984, where 24 were killed. On the U.S. Embassy in Sana'a, Yemen in 2008, where 18 were killed. Republicans didn't believe that these exact same scenarios that took place under Republican presidents merited a similar zeal to dig down to expose some unexposed imaginary truth. In fact, writes Eichenwald, Benghazi was just one of 21 major assaults on an American diplomatic facility in the last 20 years. The personnel murdered there were among about 90 other Americans hired by the government to work in diplomatic outposts who were killed in terrorist attacks from 1998 through through 2012. Apparently, their killings like the deaths of thousands of Americans at Pearl Harbor and in the World Trade Center, were seen as less important than the murder of four people killed in North African, uh, in a North African country in the midst of a government overthrow. Bloomberg Politics reported that to hear Republicans tell it, a series of unfortunate events culminated in a rough day. On Thursday for the House Benghazi Committee, leaving conservatives to wonder if they've lost their most potent political weapon against Democratic presidential frontrunner Hillary Clinton. But I should add, never fear, because today, today, the GOP announced members of their new select investigative committee, the Select Committee to Investigate Planned Parenthood. The pretend scandals continue in Congress. All right, a quick break. It never ends. A quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned.
0: Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never
4: ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come
1: inside, the show's about to start. Welcome back to the broadcast. Yes, it is the show that never ends. The. Benghazi madness continues. Uh, This was actually something, and just one more piece on Benghazi here, and then we'll move on to sort of, kind of, actual news. (laughs) Not really. Uh, Presidential politics. That's in a moment. Uh, Andrea Tantaros on, on, uh, on Fox News. Here's the thing. These people uh, who have been uh, propagandized for so many years over on Fox News to believe there is some scandal, there is something criminal here, there is some sort of wrongdoing, they're not going to be assuaged. They don't, you know, never mind that Hillary Clinton stood up for uh, t- almost uh, 11 hours yesterday answering questions. There is still some crime here. And they've convinced themselves of it. The emails, the email scandal, which is part of the Benghazi scandal, neither of which are actually scandals. But try telling that to someone on Fox News. Here was Andrea Tenteros just the day before uh, the uh, the uh, l- ridiculous Benghazi hearing uh, testimony of, of Hillary Clinton. Here was Andrea Tenteros on Fox News telling us what is going to happen with hillary clinton and her crimes
5: when you look at the two scandals that we're facing that all eyes are going to be on tomorrow benghazi and the email scandal these are administration-wide scandals all three of them president obama joe biden hillary clinton were there that night wow This is their scandal as well. This email scandal is their scandal as well. There is no way, there is no chance that Joe Biden and President Obama and their national security team did not know that she was using a private server, breaking the law.
1: There was no broken law. It was not illegal to use a private server. She is making stuff up, and yet this is what they believe. I believe that they believe this over on uh, at Fox News. No, it was not illegal for her to use her private email. It was not illegal for her to use a private server. But that's what they tell their viewers, that there was some law-breaking, that the emails were illegal. They weren't. They weren't. Sorry. They just weren't. Um. Tantaros uh, went on to say it's not just the fact that they knew about this illegal, this illegal email server, both Clinton and uh, Obama and Joe Biden. They all knew they were all in on it. Uh, Not only that, they're covering it up. This is why this
5: is an administration wide scandal that they are covering up. They are all in on this and they are circling the wagons. (laughs)
1: So that's what goes on on Fox News, and normally I would say, "Oh, well, that's just Fox News. Ignore them; they're dopes." Uh, but Ben Carson, who is now apparently the leading presidential candidate, the front runner in Iowa, the first in the union, uh, the first in the union caucuses will be held in Iowa. The very first votes in the 2016 election will be cast in Iowa, where Ben Carson. Now leads more on that in a moment. But Ben Carson said uh, the day before Hillary Clinton's testimony that he thought Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton might not be able to run for president at all because she could be in jail. Yes, Carson was asked on a Fox News radio program if he thought that uh, uh, Vice President Biden, who had uh, dropped out that day or who had decided not to run that day, Uh, If he thought it was going to be uh, a Biden or Clinton who would be the Democratic nominee, Carson replied, quote, Hillary could well be in jail. And it's hard to run from there. Carson uh, said that Clinton's personal email server or her handling of the Benghazi attack could result in jail time. As I said, uh, Ben Carson is now the frontrunner. At least in Iowa amongst the Republicans, a second poll now of Iowa Republicans has, has found that retired neurosurgeon Ben Carson has pulled ahead of Donald Trump in the state. Carson, leaded, uh, or, I'm sorry, Carson leads Trump now 28 to 19 among likely Republican Iowa caucus goers. According to a new Bloomberg Politics Des Moines Register poll released on Friday morning, Carson gained 10 percentage points in Iowa since the last Bloomberg Des Moines Register poll back in August while Trump dropped four points. So after Trump has led in poll after poll for months, something's going on, at least in Iowa and uh why uh, Ben Carson is the one to replace him? I still couldn't tell you. I still don't understand. I really don't. I don't understand uh, Ben Carson's popularity. And I suspect once uh, the spotlight is on him, as it now will be, as he takes front runner status in Iowa, more and more people are going to figure out how uh, what a dope he is. And it's going to be akin to what we saw back in 2012 when. Uh, Michelle Bachman, then Newt Gingrich, then Herman Cain, then uh, Rick Perry, one after another. Uh, had front-runner status.
3: The boyfriend of the week is how it came across to me last time in the 2012 uh, election. Yeah, yeah. It went quite uh, quite a bit quicker than it seems to be going this time. It does seem to have that same flavor, though, that, you know, oh, Trump is the most popular. Oh, now it's going to be Ben Carson, so we'll see if, if it follows that I, pattern I, no, I from think, last I time. Think
1: ben, I think uh, Donald Trump is, is going to to hang on among Republicans oh, for, a while, for a while. I think he will, too. I don't think he'll be the boyfriend of the week. I think Ben Carson will, though, I think once people see him. Although, you know what, I Iowa is Iowa. Iowa is sort of on their own with their evangelicals, and, and maybe they'll just uh, stick with Ben Carson. Although I have no idea why, because as soon as you hear Ben Carson speak, it's clear he has no clue what he is talking about. But, you know, this is the second poll now uh, this week, finding Carson unseating Trump as the front runner in Iowa. A Quinnipiac University poll on Thursday. Uh, Confirmed. Uh, So you got two polls now confirming this. Carson led Trump by eight points in that uh, Quinnipiac survey among likely Republican Iowa caucus goers, which led to Donald Trump uh, lashing out against Iowa just hours after the poll came out. He retweeted uh, someone named My Green Hippo. With the, uh, with the tweet, Ben Carson, now leading in the polls in Iowa, too much Monsanto in the corn creates issues in the brain? And Donald Trump retweeted that. Now, he claims it wasn't him. I don't believe him. Uh, he A few hours later, after people started noticing that he had just attacked Iowa Republican voters, uh, Trump uh, deleted the tweet, and he uh, tweeted, uh, the young intern who accidentally did a retweet apologizes.
3: I think what he's talking about is the young intern in his brain. <laughs>
1: yes, the young intern named the Donald in Trump. Dream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, CNN had asked Trump back in August if he uh, endorses the things that he retweets. And he said, well, I do do retweets, and I mean, uh, to a certain extent, do I? uh, Yeah, I I think that's right. Do you want me to say no? Uh, You know, I retweet. I retweet for a reason, Donald Trump said back in August, not mentioning that there was some secret young intern that was doing the retweets for him. In any event, following Carson... And uh, Trump in this new Bloomberg uh, poll, uh, 10 percent, just 10 percent, it drops way down to 10 percent of likely caucus goers who support third place now Ted Cruz in Iowa. And 9 percent backing Senator Marco Rubio with uh, no Jeb Bush to be found. Yes, that's right. The death rattle for the uh, Jeb Bush campaign continues as his campaign is undergoing a wholesale restructuring, slashing costs and revamping the candidate's message in the face of low polling numbers in a general sense that he has underperformed. Oh, you think this according to The Hill, which obtained a memo from the campaign Discussing how they are slashing salaries for mid and senior level staffers, breaking up its organizational structure at their Miami headquarters, shifting resources to voter contact operations and cheaper personnel in early voting states. You'll recall this happened to Rick Perry. He started slashing costs, slashing uh, uh, the money, uh, the payroll for those uh, paid campaign workers. Not long before Rick Perry ended up dropping out. Now Jeb Bush has a lot more money because he got a lot more money early on, so he'll likely be able to last longer than Rick Perry. But we're seeing some similar moves here. The Hill reports that uh, the payroll will be cut, the campaign will reduce payroll costs by forty percent, according to this memo, with all but the lowest level employees taking pay cuts. The campaign will also cut back on travel costs by 20 percent, reduce overhead costs that are not associated with voter contact operations by 45 percent. The campaign will dramatically reduce the number of staff working out of the Miami headquarters, moving many workers, asking many to take a pay cut and relocating many of them to early voting states such as New Hampshire, where uh, Bush will now be focusing it's a must-win state for him, or a must-not-embarrass-himself state for, uh, for him, at least. Fundraising has slowed dramatically for the Bush campaign from the second quarter to the third. The internal mem- memo is uh, a clear signal to donors that the campaign is, is taking worries about the uh, former governor's viability very seriously. Going forward, the campaign says it will place a special vo- focus on increasing New Hampshire operations, one recent poll of New Hampshire found Bush in third place. Well, that's good. But uh, trailing Donald Trump and Ben Carson very badly in that uh, in that state. Bush campaign says they also plan to revamp the candidate's mes- messaging. Well, that's good. Uh, because he has sucked so far when it comes to messaging. The Bush campaign... <laughs> However, uh, I'm sorry to laugh. I'm sorry. I just have to laugh because they're going to to uh, redo the messaging here. Uh, But they are. uh, Here's how they're going to do it. They will play up his experience and his reputation as a policy wonk on national security. Oh, dear. I know. His, all of his problems started, remember, a few weeks ago, all of his problems started with uh, th- this question that he was asked by Megan Kelly. Knowing what you know today, would you go into Iraq and take down uh, Saddam Hussein? And he said, well, yes, I would. Now, that was like the first question he was asked at the beginning of his campaign after eight years b- being able to ponder how he would answer this question knowing that it was the first thing that was going to be asked of him since it was his brother who sent us on this horrible war for which we are still paying a terrible price today. And he couldn't answer the question. And yet uh, the Hill is suggesting, or at least the Jeb Bush campaign is suggesting, that uh, he has experience and reputation as a policy wonk on national security. Oh, and uh, the campaign is also going to portray him as an outsider. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ready to fix a quote broken Washington the outsider Jeb Bush
3: I wonder if if part of the strategy here is to try to hang on as long as they can until the Trump fever dream breaks
1: it's got to be I mean it's their only hope and uh, and good luck with that uh, okay uh, a quick break oh we didn't get to uh, the news uh, there is a bit of news in the Democratic uh, uh, presidential race we will hit that when we come back in our final few minutes, with some uh, with some uh, some listener mail, looking forward to that. I'm Brad. This is your broadcast. Stay tuned. <laughs> Oh yes, they are burning down. What a week. What a week we have had over this past week. Uh, Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Man, what a week. Uh, The the disaster in the U.S. House as the majority uh, leader, Kevin McCarthy, dropped out, led to this vacuum, led to everyone begging... um, Paul Ryan to get into the race. I shouldn't say everyone, but uh, a a huge number of Republicans begging him to get into the race. Joe Biden dropping out of the presidential race, or at least coming out and saying he was not going to run for president. Uh, Eleven hours of Hillary Clinton testimony in the Benghazi hearings. Uh, and uh, and now a huge, a huge, as Donald Trump would huge. say, huge, and
3: Bernie, huge, uh, and
1: Bernie, uh, a, a a huge hurricane <laughs> uh, about to hit uh, Mexico, Hurricane Patricia. Uh, so man, uh, what a week! Uh, but amongst that, uh, amongst all of that, however, uh, we had a Democratic candidate who dropped out on Friday morning. Uh, Lincoln Chafee, who? Yes, Lincoln Chafee, the former Republican turned independent, turned Democrat, Lincoln Chafee, who everybody made fun of. Poor Lincoln Chafee. They made fun of him after the first debate. Uh, I don't know why I, I like I like link tape. He seems yeah, like a nice a, guy.
3: He is a very nice guy. He's just not necessarily somebody, I think, who, who comes across as the kind of aggressive candidate that uh, seems like these times demand for a president. Well, it
1: also makes you wonder why a guy like him would be running in the first place. I don't know what what he thinks that there is a, a, a nation calling for a, a Link Chafee type out there. I don't understand. I, in any event, I'm glad he got in. I'm sorry to see him go. I enjoyed uh, having him in the race. But he is gone. He follows Jim Webb, who is also gone. So now we have three Democratic can- uh, four at least, uh, Democratic candidates, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, Martin uh, O'Malley, and don't forget, Lawrence Lessig is still in the race, the man who, who claims to be running for one reason and one reason only, to uh, change campaign finance laws. Um, I don't think he'll get into the next debate. He should, though. I'd love to hear his voice, man. I really would on the debate stage. The more democracy, the merrier. Speaking of democracy and speaking of Paul Ryan, he has now accepted his party's uh, draft to become the next U.S. House Speaker. Uh, even though he did not get the endorsement from the so-called Freedom Caucus, he says, yeah, that's okay, I'll get in anyway. I got most of them. I got a supermajority. I'll take it. He has already caved to the demands that he had put forward, that he must get an endorsement from the Freedom Caucus. They're not giving him an endorsement. And that a bunch of rules must be changed to make it harder for for the uh, House Speaker to be deposed. They refused to change those rules, too. But he said, that's okay. I'll take it. I'm in. We'll see if he's in. We'll see if he can get the uh, we we know he can get the nomination from the Republican Party. That's going to come up October 28, I think. Uh, And then there's got to be a full uh, vote before the House. The question is, can he get four hundred and eighteen votes total among the full House? And there are enough people in the freedom, so-called Freedom Caucus used to be the Tea Party caucus, that they could block him and keep uh, Paul Ryan from uh, getting a 418-vote majority. We will see if they do. Right now, I think he's got the votes, but the folks on the right are whipping. Folks on the hard right, folks like our guest a couple of days ago on this program, Richard Vigery who is saying over at Conservative HQ that House Republicans who support Paul Ryan are entering a toxic primary environment. First line, it's the primaries, stupid. In other words, he is threatening to primary uh, people who uh, establishment, what he considers to be establishment Republicans who support Paul Ryan. Maybe even he'll go after some of these uh, these Freedom Caucus people who seem to be turning on him. Richard Viguerie is, of course, the uh, iconic, uh, legendary uh, uh, godfather of the conservative movement, 82 years old. You can go back and listen to our program, our interview with him a couple of days ago uh, about what the hell conservatives and Republicans must be thinking. Well, now they're uh, thinking, at least uh, the so-called far-right conservatives, are thinking that we must uh, primary these people who are supporting Paul Ryan. Go back. It's an, it's an interesting interview, and I'd love your uh, your thoughts on it. We got a few thoughts uh, from folks. Well, we got a number of thoughts, but I'll, I'll share a few with you that were sent to me. Uh, my email address, bradcast at bradblog.com. Fred G. says about uh, my interview with Richard Vigory. Slick, slippery really good himself at changing the subject and dodging the questions and masterful at not mentioning that he protects the 1 percenters he wants to quote cut spending but anytime you move toward anytime you move toward cutting the military budget our most egregious example of spending he cites quote terrorism or quote radical muslims convenient says fred g gary k writes to say, hi, Brad, I enjoyed your interview of Richard Viguerie. There's one issue in the con- in the conversation that you allowed Richard to snowball over you. Richard said several times that the U.S. debt is due to the Democrats pursuit of uncontrolled spending. Presumably the Republicans would have spent less. I get that you had him on the show to hear the conservative thinking but the lies have to be challenged. We're all entitled to our opinions, but not to our own fact. Why didn't you challenge him with these three facts? The majority of the total U.S. debt came from one, two massive tax cuts for, for the wealthy in 2001 and 2003, two, two unfunded wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and three, Medicare Part D, which was unfunded and a massive wet kiss to Big Pharma. The Republicans, he says, controlled at least one branch of Congress for 17 of the last 20 years. They didn't restrain spending so long as it benefited their war profiteers, billionaires and corporate welfare. Conservative thinking is good to hear, but lies have to be challenged. Thank you, says Gary Kay. Uh Well, in truth, uh, Gary, thanks for that. Uh, I I think I did uh, challenge him, frankly, on as much as I was able to get away with, uh, given the time that we had. But more important to hear what he had to say. Um, But, you know, I don't know. Go back to the record. Actually, I I think I did challenge him on uh, on spending issues, false equivalence issues. And uh, and frankly, I don't even think that had I challenged him, he would have said, yeah, I agree with you. The Republicans. Are just as guilty as the Democrats when it comes to spending
3: because they're not conservatives.
1: They're, as he sees he it, because he likes yeah. to
3: make that distinction Correct. between party people and and what he considers to be true conservatives, which right, you know,
1: yeah. And uh, I've had him on the show well years ago. I I interviewed him after he, you know, called for George Bush, Karl Rove, uh, who was it, John Boehner, to step down at the time back in two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight. Uh, because uh, he says they were a disaster for the party. So he's come out against Republicans before, and I don't think that he blames Democrats alone for the spending. Um, in any event, uh, I, I, I take your point, Gary Kay, and much appreciate the note to Bradcast at bradblog.com. Uh, In comments over at Brad blog, where we uh, post every show in full, if you missed any portion of it, Nemo says your guests response on gerrymandering was basically it's okay because the Democrats are just as bad. I'm hardly surprised a quote unquote conservative would say that it is the all purpose excuse, especially if no fact checking is involved. I'm not sure what value there is there was supposed to be. in talking to this guy, does the Freedom Caucus need his approval to appoint a speaker? Well, actually, yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of. They do. They follow what Richard Vickery says. And finally, to wrap it up, Ernest A. Canning, he is our uh, legal analyst over at Bradblog.com. He's he was also critical of my interview. He says, apparently we don't get enough of the propaganda and in battles of the multiple players within the extreme right wing of the Republican Party. From billionaire funded think tanks, Fox News, and the MSM. Now you devote a full segment of listener sponsored, ra- sponsored radio to a Richard Vigory interview? I was Ernie Canning over at Brad Blog. Uh, well, yeah, I do. I think it's important that we hear what the hell these people are thinking. I think it's important, at least for me, because I don't understand what they're thinking. It's important for me to figure it out. And I feel like if it's important for me to figure it out, there's probably a few million others who would like to know what the hell these people are thinking. Uh, But apparently there's a lot of people who uh, don't want to know what they're thinking, and I'm good with that too and happy to share those emails. You can, as I say, find us anytime at bradcast at bradblog.com. You can and should also follow us on the Twitters and the Facebooks I am the Brad Blog. My thanks to our producer Desi Doyan today, to our booking goddess Cynthia Cohn, and mostly my thanks to you, our listeners, for sharing a portion of your day or your night with us. We'll be back with you soon. Uh, until then, uh, did I cover everything? Yeah, download us, download the full show at Bradblog.com. Oh, stop by iTunes and uh, give us a good review over there. It helps others find us as well. All right, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.